Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, as we begin our four-week series, His Name Shall Be. His Name Shall Be. Today is Wonderful Counselor. And next week, we're going to step away from Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll look in the book of Matthew. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I would encourage you, would you really especially pray for that message, as it'll be a gospel message about our salvation of our souls. We want to be sure that we are presenting the gospel clearly and plainly to those that will come for our Christmas cantata. His name shall be called Jesus. The following weeks, we'll look at his name shall be called uh, the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. And that speaks of his deity, of course. And then finally, on Christmas Day, he shall be called the Prince of Peace, and that's his destiny to be the Messiah of the world. And so let's look today at Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I've I've subtitled this message, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, but it speaks of his desire, what he desired to do in our lives, how he's come to impart something to us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we'll read just a couple verses, and then we'll pray. And we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Uh, I think it's important that we undergird this, this great Bible truth and understand it thoroughly today. And so let us look towards the Word of God. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we pray that you were pleased by the worship of your son today. Lord, we know that When your son was born, the angels reserved their highest praise for that very moment. They said, glory to God in the highest. So we know that as we lift up Jesus Christ, and he is the head of our church, and it is the church of Jesus Christ, and Lord, we we know that you receive glory through that, and I pray that we would never miss that, to know that it was the idea of the Father, this whole plan of redemption, that he would send his son Jesus. So, Father, as we look to the Word of God and look at these few names over the next few weeks, and, Lord, there's hundreds more we could look at, but we'll just confine ourselves to these prophetic scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that you would just allow your Spirit to speak in our hearts and move. Help us, Lord, to understand what the Lord is doing through these titles and how we might learn more about Jesus as a result. Father, I need your help desperately. A lot of information to keep straight in my mind, and I pray, Lord, that you would... Fill me with thy spirit, I surrender to you, and ask uh, for, for all your help that you can give me. And Lord, that you'd be glorified and praised. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christmas, I think we could all agree, is such a busy time of year. Some of you have made an effort in your life to tone it down a little bit. You're just going to have a quiet Christmas at home with family, or you've cut off some of the commitments and things that you do over the years, and I commend that. I think it's a wonderful time to, to, to regroup and to rest, but mostly to reflect on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. But for others, there's so many things that are laid before us. There's many opportunities, and sometimes those opportunities become expectations, don't they? 
You're expected to be somewhere. You're expected to fulfill that opportunity, take advantage of those things. And there's a lot of activities you can do at this time of year, but let me say this, not every opportunity is an obligation. Be careful to balance your time well to make sure that you're spending time with your Lord. On top of opportunities, we do have obligations, things that are expected of us, whether we want to do them or not. And you know what I mean by that, and, and uh, we all have family, and we all have things that people that we love, but there are certain things that come up on our account. We, we've learned as our family is growing and spreading out, we're having four or five Christmases, it seems. It seems like this group is coming on this day, and this group's coming on another day, and, and that means more turkey and more food, and well, praise the Lord for his bounty that we're able to do that. But it just becomes more and more and busier and busier as your family grows. And, and so we have these obligations and those things that we must do. Why? Because we're trying to keep everybody happy. And on top of those things, we have responsibilities. In the midst of all those opportunities and obligations, we still have to go to work. We still have to put food on our table. We still have to uh, make sure we're providing for our family and spending time with them and take care of your home and etc. And so we can get pulled in a lot of different directions during the Christmas season. And as a result, we begin to feel stress, don't we? We feel the stress of overwhelming schedules. We feel financial stress as we try to give gifts to family and friends. We've, we've learned that we've cut back on that. We have, uh, we have four children. We have two uh, daughter-in-law, uh, daughter-in-law and a son-in-law. And uh, none of them matter anymore that we got a grandbaby. Amen? And so... Don't, don't tell them, they're just getting a sweater. They're all getting a sweater and a gift card. The grandbaby's getting everything, amen? And, so, and we're going to enjoy that time. And so I, I just went to the Costco website and ordered six or seven sweaters, and there you go. And uh, we were done, our Christmas shopping, because we have a new focus now. But you start to feel that financial stress as your family grows as well. And you understand that those things, uh, and we have to be careful with that, by the way, because you're going to pay for it in January, Those credit card bills always come due. We also feel the stress of just trying to get to everyone and spending some time with everybody and just trying to keep everyone happy. I want to make a confession this morning. I think sometimes Baptist preachers or even myself am guilty of adding to that stress. And what do you mean by that? I understand and I think it's it's a given that Christmas is a busy season And it's an opportune season for a church. I think we would be remiss if we did not have Christmas programs and Christmas cantatas and things that we would try to reach out to our neighborhood. And so I'm not speaking of those things. We expect those things and they are necessary to be an evangelistic church. But I think sometimes we come to church in the midst of all that stress and all that busyness and the preacher will get up and preach about sin And if you just fix this one thing in your life, and if you'll just rearrange this or change this, it'll give you a better Christmas. And so we use that idea of a better Christmas or a a more fruitful Christmas with the motive of I'm going to preach hard on sin and I'm going to rip faces off and and I'm just going to put more burden upon God's people. And so for the next four Sunday mornings, I've decided not to do that. Here's what we must learn. Here's what we must learn. Every one of us are just works in progress. And there are things that we can improve on each and every day that we might be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
That is an absolute fact, and and I'm not going to water that down or say anything different. As a matter of fact, tonight, the message is about sin from Judges chapter 1. But here's what I do know. The only way we'll ever achieve any of that, Christ-likeness, holiness, purity, is if we somehow learn to rest on the finished work of Jesus. What he has already done. In Isaiah chapter 8, if you were to read back one chapter before Isaiah chapter 9, you would find that Israel is in the midst of a terrible prophecy. The Assyrians were descending from the north and the promise was made that God was going to judge Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. They would come and they would battle them and kill many of them and carry the rest off into captivity. And so it was a very grim and bleak time in the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you read verse 22 of chapter 8, it says, And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. None of those are happy words. None of those are words we want to talk about at Christmas time. But that's what Israel was facing. And so the prophet Isaiah takes them in their minds and he says, listen, I know you're focusing on this anguish and this prophecy that I've just said in Isaiah chapter 8, but here's what I want you to understand, that God is doing something. God has a plan for the future. And so as we turn the page and we look at Isaiah chapter 9 in the very next verse, he begins to say, nevertheless... The dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. And so there's something going on. He says, nevertheless, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Now look at verse 5. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire, for unto us a child is born. He said, what is the prophet saying? In the midst of all this anguish and turmoil and darkness and despair, and you're being carried off into captivity once again by now the Assyrian people, he says, I want you to know if we can look down the road, there's a Savior coming. God is doing something for you. And you're going to have to endure this suffering for a while and this pain and this anguish for a while. But if we can look down through the eyes of prophecy and through the lens of history, we will see that Jesus Christ is coming. He is sent of God. And the Bible says his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is one who is coming who will bring peace. And of his kingdom and of his peace there shall be no end. I want to say to you this morning that that prophecy is made to each and every one of us. We still look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he comes and establishes his kingdom, there will be no end. Messiah will not be cut off again. And of his peace, it will grow and it'll grow and it'll be a kingdom of love and a kingdom of peace as we rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. I was just thinking this morning, and I'm sure the word has traveled fast, that Mrs. Faith Thompson went home to be with the Lord. Mrs. Faith Thompson was Dr. Roy Thompson's wife, and he was pastor here for about 10 months, I believe, back in a time where we had no pastor, and the church was going through some dark times. And so she was his wife. He was pastor of the Cleveland Baptist Church for 39 years, and 
great friends with our pastor at the time, and Mrs. Thompson stepped from this mortal coil into the presence of her Savior today. And she discovered what it meant to have perfect peace. Never on this earth will we know it. Oh, we can have peace, not as the world giveth, but as only the Savior can give. It is a peace that Jesus leaves with us and no man can take it away. It is a peace that passes understanding, but it is not a perfect peace until we meet the Lord face to face. And he quells all our fears and he wipes away every tear. Israel was facing a dark time, but Isaiah said, look to the Savior. I want to look at that Savior this morning and as we consider these titles and This little introduction is a prelude to all of his titles. I want you to notice, first of all, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. I want you to understand something, and I'm not trying to degrade anything at all. That the punctuation in the Bible didn't come along until several hundred years after the Bible was translated into English for us. When I think of the word wonderful, I think of an adjective. Here we have both the title Wonderful, comma, Counselor. But I believe it also, without doing any disservice to the Scripture, could mean he's a wonderful counselor. I think it's a descriptive word as well. The word wonderful in the Word of God is a masculine noun. So that's why the authors or the translators have tended to go to the the idea that it is a title or a name of Christ, that he alone is wonderful. And nobody in this room, I think, would ever debate for a moment that Christ is wonderful. He is awesome. Now, we, we, we get to the point where we, uh, we use that word awesome and we get carried away with it, don't we? We look at almost anything, well, that is just awesome. Teenagers, that is awesome, man. But the actual definition of the word wonderful is we stand in awe. He is awesome. In the very truest sense of the word, not in some uh, defamatory way, not in some uh, slang type of language that young people might use today, but he, in fact, is awesome. He takes our breath away. He is wonderful. But I'd like to look at it as a unified title this morning. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our wonderful counselor. What does the Bible mean when it says that? Notice this morning... We notice, first of all, the source of this counsel. To say that he is the wonderful counselor is, we must know where does this counsel come from? What is this guiding principle? Now, when we think of the word counsel, we think of somebody laying on a couch and a psychiatrist talking to them and trying to give them some counseling. You may, you may have a friend that you go and you, you, you find counsel with that friend. You speak to them and, and, and they help you with certain things and issues in your life. But that's not what the word counsel means in the Bible. It can mean that in some respects. But every king had trusted counselors. Somebody they leaned upon for advice, and especially in areas of their own weakness. So a king would have a counselor that would plan battles for him. If he was to go to war with another country, he would have a counselor that would write out a battle plan and and, and present that to the king. That would be his counsel in that regard. He would have a counselor that would build cities for him and a city planner. So when we think of the word counsel in the Bible, think of one who has a great plan, One who has a vision for your life. So when the Bible says he is a wonderful counselor, listen, just boil it down to this. God has a plan for your life. 
God has a vision for your life. And I think the greatest vision we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 27, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants you to be like Jesus. Next year, we're going to look more closely at that as our theme for the year is simply speak Jesus. Speak Jesus. That we must proclaim the name of Christ wherever we go. But not just with our lips, with our lives. And we're going to look very deeply at that that whole concept throughout the year. What does it mean to, to be more like Jesus? How can I be conformed to his image? How can I profess Christ with my life? I want you to know that is the greatest plan God has for you. I don't know when Mrs. Thompson's funeral will be, I suppose, in the next few days. And there'll be a lot of nice things from a pulpit, probably at Cleveland Baptist Church, said about her. Her love for people, her kindness, and all those things. But I think Pastor Stone, when he wrote me this morning, said the greatest thing about her. She reminded me of Jesus. No greater thing could ever be written on your tombstone. They reminded me of Jesus. That is God's plan for your life. Let's look a little closer at this idea of him being a wonderful counsel. We see the source of this counsel, the source of this counsel. The context alone in this verse gives us the idea of where this counsel comes from. Notice what it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, what else? The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This counsel is from God himself. It is wonderful because it comes from him. The one who knows the beginning from the end. The one who knows your deepest thoughts. The one who knows your greatest dreams. And so it is a dependable counsel this morning. Because it comes from God, you can depend upon it. You can rely upon it. You can understand that he is always going to give you what is right in your life. And why is it dependable? Number one, because it is rooted in his eternal character. It is rooted in his eternal character. Notice one of those titles. He is wonderful counselor. He is everlasting father. You ever go to somebody for their wisdom? Brother Kevin, if I were to say to you, I need you to go and get some wisdom on this subject, I need you to go and talk to somebody that that can help you with this Bible verse and maybe outline some things, I I dare say you're probably going to go to Brother Ferrier there on the back row before you go to one of our 13 or 14-year-old teenagers. You say, why would you do that? Because he's walked a few miles. He's been in the Word for a few years. He's gained some wisdom. Here's the thing. This source of this wisdom comes from the everlasting. We We can look at all the commentaries we want, and we can go back a couple hundred years, and we can find a commentary from Matthew Henry. We can read a a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, but you'll never get a, a greater wisdom than the wisdom that God has given us in his word. He is from everlasting to everlasting. His His wisdom and his counsel are eternal, and we can trust him. Think about this. He is the one that put the moon and the stars in place. 
He is the one that created all that we see. And so you can trust him. He is dependable. Psalm chapter 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Notice what he says. I will bless the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I will bless Jehovah. Almighty God, the one who hath given me counsel. Proverbs chapter 19, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. It is rooted in his eternal character. But I believe today also it's relied on due to his enduring covenant. His word has never failed us. His promises are sure. We can rely upon it because he never changes Psalm chapter 33 says this, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. It's a promise not just made to Israel. David just didn't write it down for his people of his day. But as he penned those psalms, he says, Here's something that never changes. The counsel of the Lord standeth sure and is available to all generations, that you and me. We can rely upon it because it is an enduring covenant. Psalm chapter 100, David also wrote, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1? There's an interesting passage of scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to think this morning as God has imparted something to us, he has given us this wonderful counsel. Here, here's something that Troubled me at first, but then brought me to a place of thanksgiving and gratefulness. Notice verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired, and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So the author Peter is saying that the, the plan of redemption has, has been around for, forever. God has conceived it in his heart, and by his spirit, he put it in the hearts of his prophets to preach about it. But notice verse 11, or verse 12, sorry, verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. So these prophets prophesied of redemption, and now these preachers have come and they're preaching it to you. Now it's being fulfilled as the gospel goes forth. So we have the prophets and we have the preachers. We have those that are out witnessing about Jesus Christ and telling about his redemption and how to be saved. But notice what it says next. Preach the gospel unto you from the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Notice that last phrase, which things the angels desire to look into. And what does that mean? Even the angels couldn't understand what was going on. They had to kind of peek in and say, what is God talking about redemption? What is this plan that will send a son? What is this idea that blood will be shed? The prophets who had it in their hearts and perhaps did not understand it completely, they saw the sacrifices taking place on earth and they're saying, one day God will send a perfect lamb and he will take away the sins of the world. They may not have known the time, they may not have known the details, but finally the mystery of God was revealed and preachers went forth, first the apostles, then the church, and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ as if it came from heaven itself. 
But the angels were always wondering, what does it mean? I'm here to say this morning that this idea of a wonderful counselor, this one who has a plan, it's specific to us. God loves us so much that he has placed us even above the angels. Those created beings who do nothing more than praise him all the day long. Who go about and share his good tidings with the world. But he loves us even more. And so he imparts something to us. The source of this counsel comes from his enduring character and is relied on due to his everlasting covenant. But I want you to see, secondly, not only is it a dependable counsel, we have to be aware of this there's a dual counsel. There's a dual counsel. There's a great competition going on for your attention, yea, for your very soul. Listen to this, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's, there's counsel in the ungodly as well. And there's a constant voice in our head trying to pull us in a different direction, and we have to be very careful. We have a wonderful counselor. There's also wicked counsel out there. There's something that would draw our hearts away, and we must be careful, especially this Christmas season, not to get caught up in all the things that would take away from the face of Christ. Psalm chapter 2, verse 2 says this, The kings of the earth are set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But listen, there is good news. Listen to Psalm chapter 33. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. You see, he's a wonderful counselor because when we trust in his counsel and know that he has a plan for our lives and we set ourselves like living sacrifices to pursue the life of Christ, simply said he will break asunder those chains of the wicked counsel and bring the heathen to naught. I want you to notice, secondly, not only the source of this counsel, but the sharing of this counsel. The sharing. When we think about counsel, it, it, it speaks of what he came to give us, what he came to impart to us. He came to give us his counsel. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 29 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. God says, I know my plan for you. I know what my thoughts are towards you. There's an expected end, and so we could almost substitute the word thoughts for plan or desire for our life. God says, I, I've got something all laid out in my mind. I know what my thoughts are. And there's an expected end if you'll simply follow this path. If you just trust me, and, and so this counsel that we receive from the Lord has been given to us that we might follow him and he might impart something into our lives. Notice, first of all, he directs. You all know the passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We also know Psalm chapter 23, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you know there's a great verse in there? He leadeth me. He leadeth me beside the still waters. 
Psalm chapter 23 is just a a wonderful encapsulation of the idea that God has a plan for your life. If we'll simply follow this wonderful counsel, this wonderful plan he has for us, we will have peace and we'll have love and we'll have joy. It doesn't mean we won't have trials, but we'll have a counselor who'll go through them with us. We see that he directs. But we notice, secondly, it also has to do with his desire. Think about this. The very fact that God gives us counsel is overwhelming evidence he is a personal God. There are so many today that just say, well, God may have, God may have created the, thing, the earth and put trees in place and water and all that, but you know, if you look at the earth today, it's just chaos. God's not involved and God is not a personal God. That's not true if you're a believer. If you know him today and have a personal relationship with him. I I like the old song that just says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. He is a personal God. I know that's not a, a scripture, but that's a song. But the author is basing that upon his personal relationship with a loving Savior who cares very much for you. You want a scripture? Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. That's his desire. To know that we are loved and we are cared for. And so how do we know to follow his counsel? How do we know how to uh, take part of this wonderful counsel? Number one, simply his will. Just the idea that God has a plan for your life. And he's indwelt you with his spirit to guide your steps. I believe with all my heart that as we pray... And we seek his face, his still small voice gives us peace day by day with every step that we take. We can know his will. I heard a couple stories this week, just this week of how God's will played out. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, has been candidating at Golden Harvest Baptist Church. Uh, Many of you know Marvin Massacre, Pastor Massacre there is is uh, turning 65 in May, and he's had a, a massive heart attack a couple years ago. And uh, as a result, after he preaches, he need, his, his chest hurts, and he has to lay down a little while. And about a month ago, it just wouldn't go away. It just really tightened up, and he was just struggling. And, and so he just decided, I, I guess we just kind of have to draw some lines here and say, so, so next spring, he's planning on stepping away, and they've been looking at some pastors and trying to find somebody. And this, this gentleman, a friend of mine from out east, is was just voted in last Sunday morning as the new pastor at Golden Harvest Baptist Church. And he has to make some transitions. And so this, uh, it'll be next summer before he comes. But it was interesting. He called me on Friday and he says, you're not going to believe what God did. His wife and all of his, his wife is from the United States, just like mine is. And so all of his children are dual citizens. He says, about a year ago, we knew and just kind of sensed that the Lord was moving us on. We didn't know why. We just felt like our ministry here was finished. And it was was a difficult time for him because he says, you know, the Lord had grown the church. They're running about 150 people now, and they built a beautiful new building. He said, we just completed our building. And he says, I mean, we we did the ribbon cutting, and the Lord said, now it's time to go. He says, what? (laughs) I've labored here and labored here, and look what God is doing, and now you want me to move? And he says, so I, being sympathetic to my wife, he says, I put my name in, in the States in a few places, and several places called me and said, we'd love to have you be our pastor, but we just don't want to deal with immigration. So he said, the Lord closed the door to that. 
And he says, then I received a call from a church in the Cayman Islands. Uh Uh-huh. You're all thinking warm thoughts already, aren't you? And so he says, I I got in on an airplane, and he says, I went down there with my wife, and he says, I preached at this church, and man, we loved it. He says, the people were wonderful. He says, they had painstakingly built a church building, and they had, uh, he says, they put up a parsonage. He says, the parsonage was gorgeous, huge, with an ocean view. He says, you could literally walk to the ocean. He says, I, he says, I was so excited about it. And he says, but he says, I never heard from them. And he says, I heard they candidated a couple more guys, and then a couple months later, a couple more guys. I thought, okay, well, that's that. So he said, I didn't think much more of it. He said, I just gave it to the Lord. He says, he says, this week, he says, of course, last Sunday, they voted me in at Golden Harvest. They sent me an official offer. And he says, I replied, and I accepted that offer. And he says, but in my heart, I thought, I should at least tell the church in the Cayman Islands I'm no longer a candidate and to pull my name. And just in case, he says, I'm sure maybe they found a pastor, but just in case. He, I, he said, I emailed the pulpit committee. He says, there were several people on it. He says, everyone wrote back and said, what? We voted you in as our pastor. We're already making preparations. We have not sent you the official offer yet because we're trying to figure out the timeline and immigration, but we wanted you to be our pastor and we voted you in and we were just about to call you this week and let you know. He says, isn't it something how the Lord kept me in Canada? He said, I'm not going to go back on my word. He says, God, in the meantime, has knit my heart with the people of Golden Harvest Baptist Church. I love that church. And he says, shown us very clearly, but he says, had I had my choice or my will, I'd be on white sands today. But he says, the Lord closed that door. He says, if it were up to me, I might be in the United States somewhere so my wife could be with her family. But the Lord closed that door. He says, just simply by orchestrating my life, God has made it very plain that I need to go to Golden Harvest Baptist Church. That's what the Lord does. He imposes his will upon our lives. We are just pieces on a chessboard that God moves around so that he will receive the most glory and that you'll be the most effective for his glory. But notice, secondly, not only do we see his will, we see his word. We're talking about how he gives us this counsel, his word. John chapter 17, verse 14, Jesus prayed, I have given them thy word. Jesus said, I've given the word of the Father. He was praying to his Father. This is God's word. Sometimes we struggle and somebody will say, well, I don't know what to do next. Have you read your Bible? His counsel is wonderful. I don't have any peace. Have you read the Psalms? I don't know how to deal with my family. Read your Bible. There's great ideas in there about marriage and and children and how to raise them and In other words, the whole word of God is just simply wonderful counselor. By the way, he said, well, we're not talking about the word of God. We're talking about Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the word. The word was just simply made flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to see one more thing this morning. As we talk about this wonderful counselor today, we've talked for a few moments about the source of this counsel, then the sharing of this counsel, how he gives us or imports it to us. But number three, can I just back up for a moment and and give you the main point? I want to talk about this spectacular counselor. 
I want to talk about Jesus himself. He is the counselor. Do you know why we receive wonderful counsel? Because we have a wonderful counselor. Because it comes from God. Because Jesus, his own son, is from everlasting to everlasting. Have you ever thought about the etymology of words? I do that a lot. I, I like to break down words. And my, my daughter was just sharing with us yesterday that um, she's, she's going through to be a paramedic. And uh, she was doing a test. And um, she had the word genetics. And she was trying to remember the definition of the word genetics. And I, I don't even remember the definition she shared it with me. But she says, I was able to compare it to the word Genesis. Because the word Genesis means the beginning. And genetics is talking about the beginning of life, where all the source of life comes from. She says, I was able to remember from grade seven etymology or word, word building class, she says that the word genesis means the beginning, and so genetics was the beginning of life. That's where all of our, our DNA comes from, and all everything, it's, it's all built into us. And so she was sharing how that helped her remember. And so I do that as a preacher. I, I look at words and I try to break them down. And I try to understand them as I'm studying. But there's one word that I learned about this week. It's the word wow. Wow. Do you know where that word came from? The person that coined the word wow. You know, kids are making up words every day this now, right? The slang, it changes so quickly. Josh will say, that's cap. <laughs> okay, what's that mean? Oh, it means it's good. Or no cap, that's bad. Okay, whatever. And so I just make up words sometimes. He goes, well, that's not right. You just made that up. I said, well, every word's made up. Every word is made up. Listen, the word wow, do you know where it came from? Somebody was gazing upon something spectacular and it took their breath away. And he said this, the sound it made as I was inhaling deeply was, oh, wow. That's where it comes from. Think about that. When we talk, we are exhaling. But you can say the word wow as you inhale, as your breath is being taken away. He said, that was the sound I heard. <gasps> wow. Do you know when you look up the word wonderful in the Hebrew language, the word wow is written there in the lexicon. As we stand before our Savior Jesus Christ, our breath is taken away. There was a song written years ago. And it was about imagining that moment you step before Jesus. And it just asks a bunch of questions. Will I stand in your presence? Or will to my knees, will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Or will I be able to speak at all? Wow. He is wonderful. He is wonderful. Let me ask you this. If you go to counsel... You're seeking counsel. And the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. Who do you go to? You go to the one you can trust. You're not, you're not going to find counsel on, you know. 
If I, if, I were, if I were to say, I need to learn how to go water skiing, I'm not going to go talk to Tony Baker. I don't, have you ever been water skiing? No, probably not. But if I want to learn how to program a computer, maybe that's who I go to. You're going to go to somebody you trust. I, I, I hope in the very least Tony would say, you're crazy, don't go water skiing. I think that that's some wisdom he could give me. But you want to go to somebody that's been there. When you come to Jesus... All of his counsel is wonderful. You'll never go wrong by seeking him. Here's the problem, folks. Sometimes I think we run around to everybody else and we go to Jesus as our last resort. He should be our wonderful number one counsel. Let me give you a couple things quickly. Isaiah chapter 11, just turn over a page. Isaiah chapter 11, look at how he describes why this counsel is wonderful. We're almost done. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Number one, if you're going to have a counselor of any sort, make sure he is filled with the Spirit of God. There's a preacher by the name of John Bishop whose mind was scrambled by meningitis. Even today, he struggles to talk. He leaves out. Talks like kind of like Tarzan. You remember the old cartoons of Tarzan? Leaves out certain words, verbs, and adjectives and things, and just I go to store, or I go store, something like that, you know, rather than a full sentence. But he's a powerful preacher. While he was in the hospital, they had a somebody come to him, and they put him on a seventy-two hour psychiatric hold because they weren't sure what was going on. And he and uh, he, he had this man come to him, and he said, "He says I'm your counselor." And he looked at him and all he could think to say was, are you born again? He says, I don't know what that means. He says, I need different counselor. Make sure your counselor is spirit-filled. He knows the Lord. No problem if you're talking about Jesus, by the way. He is our wonderful counselor. Notice what he says in this verse, verse 3. Or sorry, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the spirit. Upon him, number one, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the night, uh, the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of the ears. Why? Because he knows your heart. But notice these three things. First of all, why should we trust in this wonderful counselor? Number one, because of his expertise. Notice what it says about him. He has the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. Well, why wouldn't he? He knows everything. He knows your heart. Verse 3 reinforces that fact. He's not going to judge by his eyes, by what he sees or what he hears. That's what, that's what we do. We judge people because of what we hear about them. We judge people because we see only the outside. But God knows the heart. His word of God is quick and powerful. It pierces and divides to the very soul of man. So his, because of his expertise, number two, because of his empathy. Notice what it says, he has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are yet without sin. You say, well, he just doesn't understand my pain. Do you remember the cross of Calvary? 
He doesn't know what it means to feel rejection. The Bible says they knew him not. They cast him aside in their teeth. Oh, he doesn't know what it means to be insulted. They slapped him. They spit upon him. They say, if thou be the son of God, free yourself from that cross. He doesn't know what it's like to feel grief and sorrow. The Bible says he stood upon the mount over Jerusalem and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He stood at the grave of Lazarus and he wept. As his dearest friend on earth lie cold in a grave. Oh, he knows how to understand our hurts and our needs and his empathy is real. But I want you to notice a third thing. Why, why should we trust this wonderful counselor? Because of his expertise, because of his empathy. Here's a third one. Because he's eternal. Eternity. Notice what it says next. The spirit, in verse 2, of knowledge. The spirit of knowledge. I dare say, who, who's the youngest person in our auditorium? How old are you? 13 years old. Anybody, you're younger than that? You're 13? You're 12. Okay. 12. Who's the oldest person in our auditorium? I won't ask the ladies. How's that? <laughs> Ivan, are you probably the oldest? 92? 92. Is anybody older than 92 willing to admit it? Just for two more weeks and 93. Brother Spong is 92 on Christmas Day. 90, 92 years old for two more weeks. We'll call it a 93. Can we round? I'm guessing just because of his 93 years, Ivan knows more than Nevaeh, who's only 12. How, how many of you would agree with that? Nevaeh, would you agree with that? I'm not insulting you, right? He's just been around. How much does God know? From everlasting to everlasting. He's eternal. You ever seen those t-shirts? Been there, done that? <laughs> that is a glaring epitaph of our God. He has been there. Because he's been everywhere. And he knows everything. Nothing will ever take him by surprise. Nothing ever occurred to God. He knows the beginning from the end. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm not going to turn there. Talks about all the unsearchable riches of his wisdom have been entrusted to the church. What does that mean? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can know this wonderful counsel today and we can follow this path that he's laid for us and we can know his perfect will simply by following and trusting him. He has invested all of this wisdom into human vessels. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 echoes that sentiment, but it tells us why. Here's why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. It's not about you, it's about him. And when you follow his will, at the end of your life, you can surely say, it's not because of any choice I made. It's not because of any path that I tread. It's not because of any effort I made. It's all because I have a wonderful counselor. One who has planned my life to the T. One who has laid his will out before me. And I just simply followed. 
He is wonderful. He is counselor. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that you would send your son and he would be wonderful, he would be counselor, that he is a personal God who has a plan for my life. Father, I pray, Lord, that this busy Christmas season, as we get overwhelmed, may we just take a moment and step back. May we look to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we realize that he has laid things out perfectly for us if we would just follow them and trust them. Lord, in the midst of all the obligations and responsibilities, may we always remember that we must obey the will of God first. That you want us to be more like Christ each and every day. That it is a growing process, and I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take those steps forward each and every day as we learn more about Jesus and why you sent your Son. Number one, to redeem us to pay the price for our sins, but also that we might have a relationship with God and we might fulfill his plan and his will for our lives. So thank you for this wonderful counselor. Help us to rest upon him. The Lord will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed. <laughs> would you give him praise this morning? I would love to have the time to take some testimonies today for these young people. Because I think there's a lot of folks here today who say, Pastor, I can, I can tell you of times in my life where I lived for myself and I just fouled and messed things up. But I can tell you of times where I followed this wonderful counsel of the Lord and I had joy and peace and a closeness with God that can only be described as heavenly. Friend, it's true. If you know Jesus and you'll follow him and serve him. Be faithful to his will and to his word. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. Maybe there's some that just need to come and thank God for that today, but maybe there's somebody that would say, Pastor, I don't have that. I don't know Jesus as my savior. I said, I, I don't want to be this month that, that sermon that burdens you down and says, add this one thing and make your life better for Christmas. I, I, but I do want to say this, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, what is Christmas anyway? What is the point? And so maybe there's somebody here today, uh, listen, listen, I'll say this, adding, adding Jesus doesn't make Christmas better, it makes your whole life better. Knowing him as your personal Lord and Savior, and we can help you with that today and take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Could we help you? Is there one here to say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. That's why Jesus came. To redeem the world. Even the angels are wondering about it. They don't understand it. When we get to heaven, they won't be singing the song of the redeemed. That's for us. But you can know him today. And you can take part in that wonderful gift that Jesus died for your sins. Can I pray for you? I won't embarrass you, I promise. Is there one I could pray for? I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven. 
Would you pray for me?